In the words of the legendary Lou Gellerman, hello, dog fans, and welcome to the Sound the Siren podcast, because everything matters. I'm going to apologize to everybody that was super excited about a potential Cinco de Mayo pod. We had uh, some things come up where people, myself included, weren't widely available uh, as planned last week, but we are back to chat about the state of the program post-spring, some thoughts on NIL and interviews and news that have come out about that of late. Uh, Certainly, we'll touch quickly uh, on a recent commit uh, out of uh, St. John Bosco down in California, Devin Bryant. Um, But this is Hooligan7, as always, joined this evening by Hood Husky, DJ, K. Woody, and UW. How is everybody doing tonight? What's happening? What's happening? How y'all doing? All right. Uh, without further ado, we, we, we've got to touch on it because we always do. Uh, beverages of choice. Hood, what are you sipping? Man, I told y'all I was on here. I was going to have an alcoholic beverage for y'all. I got a homemade margarita. Ooh. You know what I'm saying? That looks Happy good. For y'all. Nice. I appreciate it. It's, it's just the one for the night. Cause it'll oh, be, one and done? It, it'll be naps until 12 o'clock p.m. tomorrow <laughs> if I... <laughs> do anymore so dj what about you bud <laughs> uh, i'm just going with the water i i had some margaritas ready for the cinco de mayo pod so i was pretty disappointed but just water tonight yeah i do too i've got a lot of leftover uh margarita mix that i'll get to enjoy this summer uh leah is it a Lacroix night is it a uh, red wine it, night what, it's an it's an imitation Lacroix. it's a bubbly um you know it's a quote unquote school night uh gotta make sure my daughter gets to school tomorrow and i don't want to be hungover also shouts to jcap it's his birthday tomorrow and he's still dry trying to get in shape so shouts jcap dry and and hooligan's birthday is this weekend shouts uh jcap's yeah. turning 34 hooligan's turning 33 wow hey come on <laughs> yeah, I'm, aging, I'm doing that benjamin button thing aging in reverse <laughs> and so uh, on that note shouts to you jcap because i know you're a fellow uh, ipa appreciator uh, I have a lucky envelope brewing party like Citra birthday, uh, their seventh anniversary hazy IPA. It's it's quite nice, um, but I am also on the the one and done train <laughs> tonight. Uh, I have a I've got a round of golf planned tomorrow morning as part of my birthday festivities, and uh, I'd rather not be hungover uh, warming up on the first tee. <laughs> Man, honestly, I thought you were going to come up with a better excuse not to drink, but golf in the morning. <laughs> I thought it'd be work or a meeting or something. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He's 41, man. You just say he's 41. Wow. Damn. DJ, DJ, DJ's choosing violence this early in the pod. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. You got to lubricate the hips before he hit the 18. <laughs> Bad things happen when my swing gets that loose. <laughs> That's what she All said. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's the office podcast we'll start this summer yeah like <laughs> um i think we did a, a whole bunch of prep for it but any stupid tweets that uh need to be uh made fun of hmm. Dang, we can't hear you. bring the mic down <laughs> i'll just i'll just say uh it's I gotta shout out my man's fly at a barbecue, bro. Like he he blows my <laughs> fucking page oh the fuck up, bro. You know, luckily I got my stuff all muted, but um, everything he say is dumb. You know what I'm saying? So I think, I think his I think his account should qualify as just stupid tweets. 
you know, so. Yeah, he's up there with Ryan Schill. qualify about 70% of the time. True. Him, Ryan Schill, Desert Duck. What? Him, Ryan Schill, and Desert Duck. Those three guys care about UW more than most UW fans. And they're Duck fans, by the way. Mm-hmm. My yeah. favorites are always, I mean, like, I'm sure I can come up with one, but um, are always ducks chiming in on things that have absolutely nothing to do with Wazoo, or sorry, with Oregon. And it, like, it could be like us bantering with Washington State and they're just jumping in the mansions, which just means rent free. That's where they're living in our, you know, yeah, we live rent free up there. So, yeah, that's why I tweeted to the, uh, somebody tweeted today about Oregon fans getting into Varel's mentions or, or replies yeah, every good. time he talks about it about UW and I'm like it's basically anytime anybody talks about UW it's Oregon fans with with knives and pitchforks it's like, for sure using, and like to using me to go viral like I'd be like what bro well it's yeah. like to, to jump on Mike it's like literally he's getting paid to cover the University of Washington do we jump all over John Canzano every time he tweets about Oregon no because it's no. his fucking it's job, his job. When he talks about UW, we'll jump in there because yeah, yeah, it's a sure. program and we can. But but you but beat writers at the Seattle Times don't usually talk about Oregon unless their name is Adam Jude. So. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, coming out the hitter. <laughs> hey, come on. Damn. The, 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 Bailey, the Bailey bombs. Jesus. I got six um, foe. Come on. Yeah. So moving on, let's let's briefly touch. Uh, we ha- we do have a recent commit, uh, Devin Bryant. Um, I, I don't have the 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 numbers on Devin right now, but a, a linebacker out of St. John Bosco, down in California. Obviously, that is a program with a lot of history. Uh, I believe uh, recent UW, and we didn't talk about it because we didn't do it at an NFL draft episode this year. But uh, shouts to our guys, uh, Trent McDuffie, Kyler Gordon. Luke Wattenberg uh, and, and yeah. obviously Kate Otten for getting selected. Uh, yet more pro dogs in the NFL, um, but in particular, I believe Trent McDuffie was was also out of St. John Bosco. Um, I think until um, somebody tells me otherwise that he has a nickname he prefers better, I'm going to start calling him just Devin Bad Intentions Bryant uh, uh-huh. because that's how he hits uh, going toward the people with the football. <laughs> it's I, I've watched uh, about half of his tape and. Uh, it's nice. It's nice. Not gonna lie. <laughs> I completely agree, man. Um, I think he's he's he definitely fits that modern day linebacker mold. Um, that Devin Lloyd, that kind of uh, Nicobe Dean. You know, you're six foot six one, and you're just kind of you know between kind of two eighteen to two thirty two, and you're just kind of sideline to sideline. Um, you know, play on uh, pass downs and things like that. And uh, that man, obviously, it's a pipeline, but. Just uh, like you said, Hooligan, the way he lays hat, um, I think it was A-Crop that mentioned that he reminded him of, um, had the attitude of Azeem. And um, I think that's a great kind of, you know, parallel to draw there. So, Yeah, I didn't didn't watch a lot. I was going to say, I didn't watch a lot of film on him. But yeah, the thing that did stick out when I did watch is, yeah, he can can hit. And I like what you're saying about like the modern day linebacker, the six foot six one, because yeah, the the six four guys that used to be like those modern linebackers, like they don't move as well and they can't defend as well in pass coverage, and so uh, it's kind of hard with with that stature. But yeah, it's it seems like a good commit, and I'm excited to have him. For sure, Ish. we, well, we, we, we got can, some uh, fun, some cool and fun momentum. So. 
yeah, starting to pick up. We, you know, we'll, we can also you know make a brief shout to to Keith Reynolds, who I can I think committed since the last time we had a pod at length. Uh, a really interesting prospect. Uh, again, I don't have the numbers in front of me. Um, I think probably from kind of a lesser known high school or uh, football league down in California, but certainly the tape, the the speed and athleticism, um, it it jumps off, and and then certainly I think with the variety and the the creativity with DeBoer and Grubb in this offense, uh, I I definitely can see um, how they would get <laughs> Keith the, the ball and um, how he can cause problems. Um, uh, it was Cooper Patanga that mentioned um, it reminded him a lot of Chico McClatcher. Mm-hmm. And while I felt like uh, he, he did what Chico McClatcher did like uh, in high school, so, so I think that's the reason for the comp. But I think his athleticism, although he doesn't have the same straight line speed, uh, reeks a lot of like John Ross. You know what I mean? Um, just having mm-hmm. that suddenness, that quickness, that elusiveness, that kind of innate instinct when he's juking, um, eyes in the back of his head, that type of thing. And then I think he Keith has some like quarterback reps and things like that, correct? I think he's running mm-hmm. some, yeah, some he walkout, I believe. Running some walkout, I believe. Some so just the best option. athlete. Yeah. Yeah, just the best athlete on the field and kind of proving it. Um, one uh, offensive player of the year in his um, in his league, and I think they had like an under 500 record. So that should just show you that he was just dominant in general, um, best athlete in that league. So Shout out UW softball with the W. The W, yeah. Just got the alert. Yeah, yeah, and shouts up to um, – while we're on that topic, before we get into the, the main topic for the episode – um, certainly a big shout out to, to UW softball in general, but the all conference honorees, including conference player of the year, Bailey Klingler. Um, Bailey's name will come up in the discussion of the main topic of the evening. Um, but uh, they're, you know, they had a little bit of a hiccup with Utah last week, but, uh, but, but seemed to be got it, you know, got the momentum back, moving in the right direction. And yeah, didn't get swept at that last game. Last weekend. Is this the last weekend before uh, the tournament? At least I think it's the last home weekend. I think they might have okay. a, a final I knew it's last home. The road. All right. But uh, moving into the main topic, and it was something that uh, at the spring game uh, where I was able to meet up with TJ and uh, and the darker night that the darker night ended up and I talking at length about is kind of current state of recruiting, current state of NIL. Um, I, I think the the thing that's been crystal clear with the messaging that we've seen from you know the beat writers, from interviews with Jen Cohen, with Emmy Armentrout, and um, Henry, I'm blanking on his last name, uh, that did an uh, an interview with Softy uh, and Dick Fain a few weeks ago. You know, right now uh, we are uh, we're not going to play the the pay for play inducement game um both you know as UW and, and Motley Futures is clearly the their mantra we can ultimately it's too early to judge what will be the long-term impact of that um the the thing that I what I'm encouraged it's something I'm both encouraged by and that in something that came out in Christian Capel's mailbag this week that over 50 football players have NIL deals in place that the entire men's basketball team had NIL, NIL deals in place and that's great. And if we want to be more structured and go more of the Oklahoma route, that's great. The biggest complaint that I have about it is that we're not like that 
that that breaks in that format in a mailbag news article not and we've where we've seen yeah we saw lance holdclaw with his body armor deal we've seen bailey klingler um when she you know uh, along with jackson kirkland signed as a barstool athlete and then a couple of weeks ago um, that she had signed or was working with the Helmham agency to, to help facilitate NIL deals. Mike, like if we're going to be like, we are going to focus on our own athletes, we need to be doing so much more to be publicizing the deals in terms of helping our, in our recruiting effort. We need to be publicizing the deals that our athletes are getting um, through Montlake Futures. That needs to be something that's, you know, because we, you know, when you have an Oregon or a Tennessee or these companies or these schools that are just flat out paying up front, um, you can't just say, well, we don't have anything for you or we're not going to talk publicly because you're going to get a reputation in their, in, in their recruiting and in the prospect community. It's like they're not doing anything. So you're automatically going to get discounted. Um, and we have tremendously marketable athletes and we have athletes that clearly want to profit off their name image and likeness bailey klingler as an example of one of them the fact that we have that like it seems like bailey's got to chase those opportunities on her own that's a failure and by like futures in my opinion like the the fact that there's not i think hood you've reached out to them about everybody that's got you know i think jacoby before he decided to enter the transfer portal had his own apparel like, why don't we have, you know, a storefront or a booth at the spring game with all of the athletes that have come up with T-shirts to sell our, our, our players' product? Uh, I'll take it from there. <laughs> and I feel like that's, like, a pretty remedial idea, you know, like, pretty low level. Like, that's, like, entry level. Um, you know what I mean? Like, a lot of these kids are, like, I've kind of been saying recently are going to come in with brands and are going to come in with followings and followers like like a bookie to be in it for an example mm-hmm. they're going to come in with these big followings and you're going to need to be able to capitalize on it but not only capitalize on it like you said we talked about in the pre-show like you got to market this stuff you know you, i think that's where our ad kind of is struggling in regards to our, our whole department is struggling in regards to um, lack of investment um, we have a lot of investment into you know um i'd say um um, our connections and networks in regards to Montlake Futures and things like that, uh, the businesses and the business ties trying to um, be be had and stuff, the seminars, uh, the things that they're doing in that regard. Um, but yeah, I think I think the, I think we got to start investing in marketing um, heavy. Like we we see the videography on the page, like trying to show off certain players' abilities and things like that, and just kind of like having real, you know crazy hip hop songs playing to kind of be fun and modern and things like that, but nothing about NIL specifically. So I, I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, and, and there's so much like with the strength of the the foster school in terms of the business and people with a marketing background or undergrads that could do efforts and work with athletes to create logos, to create, to create product. I mean, like these are like the, the ideas that we get that we toss around in the GC and on Twitter, like these are not, we're not sending somebody to Mars. <laughs> these are basic things that that we're just failing. And I think it goes back to something that we talked about last summer, where there's just this sense of complacency or we're going to be kind of like, and the approach from the department and from Montlake Futures or like it was just kind of a wait and see. And it's like... <clears throat> that's your if you're if you wait and see and you're complacent 
you're going to wait and see yourself fall behind. Go ahead, Leah. I was just going to say that, like, I kind of understand the, the athletic director and department's stance on pay for play. Like, I get it. I'm not necessarily all for it, but I do get it. But if that's your stance, that you just, that's your policy, you're not going to you're not going to pony up for recruits and what have you. If that's your stance, then you need to go all in on helping to market the NIL deals that the kids are getting while they're here. If you're not willing to, to front the cash, then the cash that they do get from outside sources, you need to be all about it because otherwise you're, do, you're doing nothing and you're going to lose your best recruits. Um, as we just saw Josh Carnley, like that sucks. We just, to, to, to touch on that for a minute, we just, Leah, we talked about it last last season of the podcast when we were covering women's basketball about the failure that was losing Jordan Jenkins and Delaya Daniels under Jody Wynn, mm -hmm. kids that grew up stones throws and, and were Husky fans, mm -hmm. losing a, pro, a, a high caliber, everyone in the country prospect wants him from Rainier Beach. That's inexcusable. It, like yeah. they're just, you, you, you will not, and, and not only... Like, okay, out you, you lose that that player. You you know that's the that was the case in the year before. You lose JT Tuamalau to Ohio State. Okay, fair enough. Ohio State proven basically an NFL factory of top five picks mm -hmm. at his position. Fair enough. You lose not only an in-state but an in your home city prospect. Yeah. to Oregon. Satan's butthole. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Well, Hooligan, you, you said it's inexcusable, which I 100% agree. But in this case, so, uh, I mean, people like Hood and other people mentioned, like, oh, it's, can't blame NIL for not getting every recruit. But for this instance, it sounds like it was pretty much all NIL with the amount he was getting. Like, what, what would you have done differently? Like, would you have paid him that money? Do you think he's worth whatever you got a million and a half dollars or what else would you have done differently in the situation? I think, I think it just really comes down to like kids having trust in their own process. Um, if you're like, just think about, you have a guaranteed floor in regards to the product, whatever product it is you want to sell. If you're from Rainer beach and you go to UW, like there's a guaranteed bottom line. So, um, I just feel like a lot of the a lot of those types of decisions now, not specifically, I'm not going to speak on Josh and things like that, but like I think a lot of decisions that get made like that are going to be people playing with scared money. Like it's like, who I don't know if I'm really going to make it and be a starter in a year or be a starter mm -hmm. in two years, or I don't know if I really want to hustle. You know, I really don't want to, I don't know, you know, so a lot of people want that stuff done for them and they want to rely on an institution to provide that for them. And then they end up in situations like Florida, a Florida state starter, um, I, I forgot his first name, but last name's Brownlee, uh, didn't meet all the obligations of his, his deal and then didn't get paid and then transferred because he didn't get paid. I don't want to run into those types of situations when you've, and, and splinter locker rooms when you've paid recruits more than what you're paying uh, players on roster for sure oh and yeah I, I agree i agree with that and I, I just think that i don't yeah i don't want them i don't think it's right to to pay kids hundreds and hundreds of thousand dollars when they don't yeah it's bad business bad like you there's no guarantee there's it's, it's nothing it, i think it's bad but to not do anything in my opinion is not the right move. They need to have like a middle ground where they're yeah. they're paying because we're not going to get any four star recruits except for maybe 
one or two local ones, <laughs> maybe not. But and, say, and then what I say, ahead, in, what I say in quotes is, I say like high priced recruits because I think that's how we're gonna have to start speaking about them. There's gonna like just because you're a five star, it doesn't mean you're hype. It doesn't mean like uh, how to explain it. Like there's like high profile recruits. There's high ranked recruits, and then um, there's like high priced recruits. You'll find some people that are five star players that don't have a huge high price because they know that they're gonna go to a school, their best fit, market themselves, and make money anyway. You know, but then there's kids who are three stars, but they want five hundred thousand because they got uh, Instagram following and a YouTube page and things like that. So there's a there's gonna be like high priced recruits. You know what I mean? And then like high profile, high ranked, et cetera. Like not everybody's going to have the same NIL priorities. So I think you can still recruit high level players that just have different value systems. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I, I don't disagree with you, with you hood. And I think part of it is also, unfortunately, look at Stanford's class right now. Yeah. I'm not making excuses, but in some ways that what we ran into with Connor Lee was that was basically the perfect shit storm of, a previous coaching staff that had essentially stopped efforting at all. Unfortunately, this is somewhat of a trend for athletic department in general. Um, (laughs) Plus, you know, a player of his caliber, plus a situation in which the rules aren't clear, weren't clear, weren't established. Mm -hmm. All of the above led to to a perfect storm. I think the concern that I have and, and kind of the second part of the conversation that we can get into is... Um, the thing that the the course correction that I would like to see out of out of our football program in particular is a, a much clearer understanding, or, or like just that the some of the things you hear that they're not prior that they're not putting anywhere near the priority on it on in state athletes, um, and that you know it's great to have an, a national footprint, and we're going to need a national footprint, and I would never say that we should not prioritize kids from California because (laughs) like if every year on this football team, I think with rare exceptions, the number one place that we've had the majority, that the majority of our, of our football players are from is California, but loyal to the soil has to cut both ways. And if, if there's a, you know, if there are people that you want an offer and should be priorities or getting offered by everyone else in the country and are, are those kinds of players that, every great program in the country wants you they should be hearing from the university of washington more than anybody or as much as anybody we should not be getting out efforted for in-state kids i agree with that especially out uh, especially in-state dbs oh yeah mm-hmm. yeah and going back to what hood was saying by going with that route with like not going out to the high profile kids because i mean we are uw's never not never, but like we traditionally don't go after it's those. Kind of like, never, really. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, <laughs> um, I mean, yeah. I would. I, I don't. I don't know if I say never, but yeah, it's close because like there's Shaq been a handful of Napoleon Kaufman. Like I mean, this is yeah. going back, but like it, it's the Don James philosophy. You're not going to beat yeah. USC unless you're getting players that USC wants. That's. I mean, those are also. You just named two players. You know what I mean? Like it's. It's not I like. Mean, but that's in like thirty years. We don't but really that's, do. I mean, but Tommy Harris was also the number one player in California. Like, it's happened. Like, I, you know, I, True. the recruiting Nate services Robinson, didn't, maybe. I mean, Re, Charles Frederick and Frederick, Giant, like, yeah. Char, yeah. like, 
pulling a kid from, I mean, part of it was that we signed, what was signed Anderson and had the inroad with Frederick, but it happens, you know, it's, and I, and we're not shy. Like we offered Carnell Tate, like we're not in the conversation for him, but they're not shy about putting the offer out there. Uh, We're in the top five for Alicia Jacket. Um, Yeah. Or Alicia Jacket, sorry. Um, They're not shy about getting into, into it for high profile athletes. And then we also yeah, and- we, we also never know NIL's pitch. Like we don't know what they're telling these kids or how much money they're, you know, telling them that they can make over a certain amount or even guaranteeing, you know, because they don't mm-hmm. market any of the wins of the actual deals that they have now. So yeah. we have no right. idea. It, Local beat writers can't right. even report on the numbers and things. Right. And then, the, yeah, the, the, there's rumblings to your point that, that we asked that people that publicized how much kids were getting from NIA deals were, were asked not to. And I'm like, you're like, if we want, and, and here to, to, to Leah's earlier point about it, them asking for money, it's like, if you want to be an Ivy league school and not really publicize the, what you're facilitating for your players, fine, but be upfront with your fan base and say, this is what we're going to do. If you're more, if you know, if upper campus says, you know what, we're going to, well, here's where I get into it with upper campus. If Upper Campus likes the fact that the uh, University of Washington Athletic Department is nine times nine years out of ten profitable and doesn't take any money out of the general fund, some of the money that the University of Washington Athletic Department makes, including from booster donations, needs to be going to NIL deals and we need to be publicizing it so that you keep that flywheel going so that you don't run into a situation where you go from nine years out of 10, the athletic department is possible to seven years out of 10, the athletic department is possible, profitable to four years out of 10, the NFL, the, the AD is profitable to constantly taking money out of the general fund, in which case our athletic department will die. And that is particularly important, not just, and football will be probably the last one that dies. But if you care about a, a UW sport that is not football, it is critically important that football makes this department money. Yep. And uh, yeah, no, that's 100% true. RCA cap says facts. Uh, but one thing I'll say about that, you said they need to be up front. And to me, they kind of been up front with what Jen Cullen has been saying with, uh, they're not, they're not paying. The they're expectations not are set. Yeah. That's to me, like, <laughs> here's how they're going to go about it. They're not going to play the game, which you know, you can say it's fine morally, but like, they're not going to play this game. They're they're going to go about their way, what they think is the right way, and that's and, our expectation. And that's and, and that's, that's fine. But go ahead, Hood. Oh, I was going to say like, and that's what like, I think we got to have our fan base move beyond that and start figuring out ways to benefit the process that we're actually going to prioritize. Like you sitting there and complaining about them not involving themselves in pay for play is not going to do a damn thing at this point. Absolutely. So it is up to you to start promoting that we pro- we shift to marketing the deals on um, that our current players yep. get, etc. You have to and so- DM Montlake Futures about ideas and things like that because at this matter within the rules, at this point, expectations like DJ was saying was saying Absolutely. have been set. With the infrastructure that they are providing, we yes participate if you've got money, if you've got an idea go out and you know approach Motley Futures with that idea. What I'm saying is that what I want from Motley Futures in particular, even 
more than the athletic department is to be more on the front foot and leverage not even necessarily the i mean like it's great if we're setting up internships with amazon and with microsoft and all of these places fantastic but for athletes like like buki like bailey they clearly want to market and profit off of these deals do more to facilitate you know to facilitate make it easier for them to build a brand it's great that sam and carson and the other players that are doing the the football camps are going to make money off of that um, number one we should not from motley futures or the athletic department we should not be telling beat writers hey don't say don't don't put that out there because we need to market <laughs> like we were talking about it we like one of the biggest complaints about during the lake time frame was that we were and during the peterson era is like we weren't marketing the program we have to market like marketing and publicizing and promoting yourself market your wins like it's it's not like you're not going to become you're not suddenly overnight going to become oregon that brags about shit that they have no business and have no actual tie to like one of the things well, you mentioned um, uh, going in today was just like state of program you know what I mean as well. And I think um, like the biggest thing that I kind of had down in my notes was just that like we we prior, like we got to win. You know what I mean? Like winning. We're literally coming off of four and eight, which is has been an outlier year. You know what I mean? Um, in the past, you know, f six seasons. So, yeah, Mallards that don't understand what that means, but <laughs> agreed as if they weren't four and six, you know, in 2016. So um yeah, like I, I think at this point you have to win, you know, and have some big wins. Um, mm -hmm. You got to at least challenge Michigan, Michigan State. State and look good. And even if you lose, I like, look good doing it. Um, you yep. have to be be kind of attractive, you know what I mean? And so I think that's that's kind of more valuable and important than anything right now, you know. And then in regards to expectation, we all agreed, and I mentioned on this pod as well. Um, Husky Nation, Husky Twitter, kind of all agreed that we hired a staff that had like prioritized coaching acumen and schematic acumen and developmental acumen. You know, we all kind of knew that we were going to be wanting something in regards to recruiting and we were going to be kind of looking for um, them to kind of like, you know, make their mark in that regard. We see, we hired an elite off field staff that is kind of setting them up for these relationships and things like that. And a lot of fan, a lot of the fan base are concerned about, us not having a bunch of commits and things like that. Um, expectation has been set. Like, there's no reason to be surprised at this point with, you know, where we are in regards to relationship building, commits, who we've closed, et cetera. So, like, months ago, we knew, you know, what these hires uh, meant and stood for. They weren't, you know, TTDS, you know, hiring recruiters, bringing, they knew they were going to bring people in immediately, whether they, you know, Hype. really were. Yeah, exactly. well, I, I don't want to, so, I don't anyway. want to monopolize the conversation about uh, that, that group of uh, flying fowls um, down in Eugene, but um, I, I know I watched a little bit of the spring game. I know Hood, you watched a little more of their spring game. Um was not exactly complex routes that were being run and their defensive backs were getting absolutely cooked. So, mm -hmm. um, you put, and, 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 and here's the point that I will make and why I am not going to be in, I'm not going to be doom and gloom. I'm, I'm granted. I will also say, as we get into predictions for next season, when we get together and do that pod, uh, I will not go full Duke. Uh, I learned my lesson until proven otherwise, <laughs> uh, on that front. But um, 
you have a coaching staff in place. I've said it a number of times on Twitter, but we have a coaching staff in place at the University of Washington that with a total team composite in 2021, the Fresno State total team composite in terms of their composite talent rankings uh, was somewhere in the 90s. I believe they were like 92nd or 94th in the country in terms of the amount of talent that they had on their roster based on what the you know blue chips and all of those pieces from the recruiting services. Washington, yes, we have lost 10 plus blue chips from our roster last year that was 18th in the country. Yes, we've lost. So we're probably going to be top 25, top 30 range-ish this year in total team composite. With that 92nd or 94th total team composite ranking, both offense and defense at Fresno State last year were top 30 in the country units. This challenged coach, Oregon, challenged UCLA. Um, they did not, I mean, and they had good receivers and certainly Hayner balled the freak out. And it's going to come down to uh, health of our quarterback play. Um, but if we have enough running game where defenses have to be, have to respect it and can't just drop eight. Jalen, Jalen and Rome and the rest of the receivers are going to cook defensive backs like they're brisket mm-hmm. being cooked by Lincoln. Well, and they've got, Lincoln they're practicing Lincoln. against the best defensive backs traditionally in the conference. Come so on. if they can do right. well in practice, they yeah. can do well in the conference. And, you know, if those guys can get coached up and learn to catch and hang on to the ball, I feel good about our receiving core. Uh, the spring mm-hmm. game, in regards to the spring game, I felt like there was not a singular position group that stood out to me. Um, certain individuals stood out, but there wasn't mm-hmm. a position group that stood out to me outside of the receivers. I felt like yep. the receivers, for the most part, the whole position group looked really, really good. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, we said it. I in that's our, where I got. Oh, I'm pretty excited for. Her. Yeah, we we said it in our recap. Um, the the one that had the, I mean, like you know, Rome had a really nice day. That that play at the end of the to, that ended it and won it for the offense was quite nice, but. Uh, um, Lanyard Alexander. <laughs> yeah, he's going to do some work for us. <laughs> I mean, you got to think Taj was out uh, as well. You know what I mean? I don't think he played. Um, mm. So that's going to be something else, adding him to the mix. Um, and just with, I think on offense, um, I can't really pinpoint two people. Uh, but I definitely know that I've been hearing rumblings of Giles Jackson's like progress as a receiver and as a weapon, et cetera. Yep. Um, so I feel like he's going to come along. Exactly. And I feel like he's going to come along on the offense really well too, as like a, a receiver. And then don't underestimate Will Nixon, most likely uh, to, mm-hmm. to kind of back him up and be that kind of pseudo running back uh, receiver. So, third down running back kind of gadget. Third down kind of back. Nice. I, I hate back. to use the term gadget play because it's not. It's just putting athletes that you have in space. And I think the other thing yeah. that's, uh, I mean, obviously the running backs, we had two healthy for the spring game. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think based on what like we've seen out of his film, I think one of the people that, that is certainly going to get some run, no pun intended, in that room and really help in terms of how much this offense is uses running backs as pass catchers is the, the kid we're pulling that's coming in from Virginia Wayne Telepapa. Yeah. Um, definitely has that a, as a part of his repertoire. Is he a game breaker where he's going to break off an 80 yard run? No, probably not solid pass catcher. Yes. 
Hey, hey, Hood, going back to where you're saying, who are the only two people that said before the season that said Taj Davis was going to get some play and, and do well? Man, come on, man. It's like you and I. But don't bring up the rest of my predictions. That's the only one I'm going to talk about because the rest are probably all bad. And also, and also, too, like I want people to know that, like, if you're if, if if it's a prediction and it's preseason, everybody's making educated guesses. You know, what I mean, off the strength of you know facts and their perspective and you know their football you know values and things like that. Somebody grilling a preseason prediction postseason is clown shit to me. Like it, like you can you can, not clown shit, but like you can you can grill it and make jokes about it, but trying to like harp it in as if like. You know, facts in football can't change week by week. You know what I mean? Like, so you know, season progressed. You know, a, a lot of a lot of preseason predictions adjusted um, along the way. Wait, so, so are, are you trying to call out some particular person or persons with this? These comments, you got some trolls uh, coming after you. Yeah, man, I got you know they. Oh, well, you predicted ten and two, whatever the case may be, and it's like. Okay, like I didn't know week one and two, you know, we were gonna have all our receivers out. I didn't know that, you know, Demo was gonna have some struggle. I didn't know how bad JD was gonna be. I didn't know how bad. I didn't know that Jimmy Lake stopped coaching. So it's like, like, and then you got to think, you know, three and one last year, and while they struggled and had to come back versus a couple teams and things like that, they still won the games. Mm -hmm. You know, they still were in position at the top of the conference. So it's like you assume that momentum's going to progress. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. like, and you have the talent as well, as you see via the draft. The, you know, yeah. so. the hey, it's May 2022, and uh, Jimmy Lake still doesn't want to coach. On this note, like, the writer of one of the preeminent college football preseason publications who covers every program in the country um, – predicted us to potentially go or, or likely had a good chance to go undefeated last year. So um, anybody that's coming with that energy for us as fans, if you're not bringing that energy for Phil Steele and Phil, you know, I'm not coming out. I'm not advocating people to come after you, but like no, we, nobody knows anybody that says that, you know, like that, like it's, it, you're exactly right. Hood. It's educated guesses. We're fans. We, we obviously have our own perspectives and our own biases, do I think that we're going to bounce back and win more than eight games next year? Yes. For goodness sake, USC and Notre Dame are always ranked in the preseason top ten. Okay, so like USC we're all here. Four and eight also. Exactly, and they're always preseason top like top twenty five for sure. Usually oh, top ten. USC went four and eight, and everybody knew. Unlike what was the case with Washington, everybody knew what kind of a walking dumpster uh-huh. fire Clay Hilton was. That's true. That's true. <laughs> That's true. But no one thought he was gonna uh, that whatever like what is Matt Bone is, the, is that their AD's name? Mike no Bone. one Mike Bone. I was close. No one knew they were gonna pull Mike Boner. What? No, that's us. That's <laughs> our, that's ours. That's our guy. I uh, know he's back at yeah. Boise State now. <laughs> hey. Well, yes, that's so true. Yes, no more skeleton recruiting pe- tactics, no. right? Oh, uh, gonna miss that. Oh, that's that's a rat. That's a saran wrap. <laughs> that's there. a leap. That's a. Leap. <laughs> um, what were some of you guys is I don't know if any guys uh, got opportunities to um and and hooligan out you guys you guys went over the spring game already? Little bit. Um a little bit. very, very briefly. It was about a three minute podcast, so we can certainly chat about impressions from the spring. Um if, if you want to kick off that discussion, go ahead. 
Um, yeah, I, I just like wanted to kind of get you guys' thoughts, like at the end of the day, like what you guys um, like just took away any players that, you know, kind of caught you off guard. You know, a lot of people, a lot of third, fourth string, you know, Devon Banks playing, you know, only a couple, a couple of um, running backs available, things like that. Um, so, you know, take certain things with grain of salt, but anything stand out to you guys? Uh, any big, I know, again, you were at, you were there, right? Um, yeah, I was there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, Fine. defensive side of the ball, um, I think the the value and the energy and the attitude, kind of all up, the, the player that he is, the player that he's proven on, on a in a Power 5 level already, um, and, and particularly at a position where there's a lot of injury history or where there's a lot of injury problems and a lack of depth, um, Cambright is going to be an incredibly important mm-hmm. part of our defense. Um, I, I can't understate <laughs> how important Cambright will be. Um, I continue to be very, very encouraged and can't wait to see um, Dom Hampton out from under the auspices yeah. and reins of Jimmy Lake um, and allowed to, to just play football with at, at his pace at his yeah, mean. with his want to yeah yep. um looking up uh, when dom hampton just want to say one thing uh because i was going to say that what stood out about dom hampton because i walked i got some food and i came back and i was in my seat and i see the defense out there and i just see dom hampton like so much bigger than everyone else i mean it's nothing really to do with the play but he's just like a beast out there. And I just can't wait to see him unleashed and just show his potential out there. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, yes, it was against the second or third string. Um, but I was very, very encouraged um, by Sam Heward's performance at the spring game. Uh, certainly a lot of that. And again, this is not to discredit, but um, to, to discredit the performance um, you know, certainly he had a field day throwing to somebody that he is very, very familiar to throwing the ball to. And, and there, there's a reason for having those connections on your team. And like that, you know, that it, it I think DJ and, and, you know, with, with, with darker night, we talked about it where it was, it was playground football a little bit with Sam and Laniata because their timing is just, it's almost intuitive at this point because they played together so much and Sam could, could hit the whatever step of his drop and get the ball out. And he knew exactly where on the field Laniata would be. Um, But after what we saw and the complete lack of coaching that Sam clearly got last year, that was an encouraging sign. And, and I said it, um, I think one of the things that stood out to me of Sam's plays is actually not one of the completions, um, but was something on the first drive, somebody came on a corner blitz. And I think Sam last year in that situation would have gotten happy feet. Now he didn't complete the pass, but he threw, he ended up throwing a, a comeback to the sideline that, that bounced in front of the receiver, but he stood in, in front of the pressure rather than getting happy feet. And that's a step that he's already gotten better coaching from this staff that he got from the prior staff. And, uh, DJ, any thoughts? I, I definitely have thoughts. Um, 
I just wanted yeah. to see if you know we were on in any kind of like unison in regards to train of thoughts or. I mean, I think it's just clear that the as you mentioned earlier, the wide receiver position has stepped up, and they're the ones that you can see the talent. But also with the offense, it can allows them to showcase the talent a lot more than what we've seen in the last couple of years, and that's super exciting that's more like the modern day offenses like you let you have your, your receivers your skill position guys you let them do your thing their, their thing out there and so yeah rome junior i mean we, we already know what jalen mcmillan can do i'm excited to see those guys out there uh, i mentioned this in that uh, three minute pod i mean you can definitely well, not definitely but so you can see a little bit of a drop off at db but you're comparing we're looking at first and second round guys so i'm not saying the dbs are bad because they're still going to be one of the tops in the conference but you know we don't have those shut down corners every single play and so uh yeah i don't know if that had a little bit of effect on receivers or whatnot but so it's going to be a little different you know adjusted to non jimmy lake dbs and those guys being one of the best in the country but we still got some good some guys out there well and i think it's also a point of comparison um that you know unlike last year we don't have receivers running routes into the same space making the defense look yeah. better because we're helping doing your job for them <laughs> <laughs> just saying go ahead and take it away <laughs> uh yeah I, I i i agree with uh with the, the corner evaluation as well but i think also we we were seeing uh no elijah jackson and no Perriman, and those are two people that obviously have grown up in that lake school you know for three plus years now uh, well not Perriman, but uh but Elijah Jackson, so we didn't get to see that. Um, so I think you know we still there's still something to kind of maybe be seen there, as far as the ceiling is concerned for that position. But my overall takeaway, I kind of was talking to um, the Darker Knight about it. Um, oh, and then also mentioned that I didn't see any position group kind of do well as a whole. Um, I thought the spring game was uh, them really playing slow. It looks like a lot of people were thinking. Seems challenged, um, and so I think the people who weren't thinking as much obviously stood out. You know, I, I feel like Camp Wright stood out, Alfonso Tuputala stood out, Jeremiah Martin, um, Asa, Cam. I, I feel like the people who kind of felt more comfortable with whatever the installs were in spring just kind of kind of stood out. But I feel like I feel like it was just really, really slow, and um, everybody was kind of moving at a slow pace. Um, and and and, the, and my reason, kind of thinking that too, was you've had two years of John Don um, and simplicity within offense, and simplicity within terminology, and then you've had uh, and, and a lack of adjustment. Then you've had Jimmy Lake's defense and Bob Gregory's defense, which has done the same thing on defense a lack of adjustments, really, really uh, simple calls, things people are really familiar with. And now you're seeing a new staff with it's with what seems to be something to kind of, that's kind of tough to install. Mm -hmm. And so you saw people kind of like running around there slow, still kind of get in a hang of it and things like that. So it was, it was really, really tough for me to watch it and take anything like serious away because I just felt like other than a handful of people who might have a better grasp of the system, everybody was just kind of moving slow and I felt like that was a away from it. There were no huge plays while people were even thinking slow. So, um, yeah, uh, that's kind of my main, my, my main kind of takeaway from it. Um, 
was that I, I'm, I, I'm, 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 I'm happy that these kids seem very, very challenged schematically. You know what I mean? So, yep. As All the players you named. As long as we don't get to the point where we where we brain lock our quarterbacks like we did with Peterson's offense, oh, please no. Um, I, I will say uh, you mentioned him uh, in the in, in what you were saying, Hood. Uh, I will say I also really did enjoy. There was a, a particular play pretty early on. I think it was Dylan's first series where I'm like one of the first or second snaps. Um, Jeremiah bull rushed and uh, basically deposited the left tackle in Dylan's yep. lap. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, Hey, here's your tackle. <laughs> yep. Can you can you guys see the difference in his body and the difference yes. in like his explosion? The whole t- that and that actually is a big takeaway as well. The 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 difference in we talked we've talked about it a couple times with Rome, but like the difference in physique of a number of guys on the team, um, complacency the complacency that became the latter part of the the Saha era in the weight room is uh, gone. One thing uh, Chris Peterson kind of always said that um, I thought was a cool like way to kind of analyze uh, the progression of a team was he would say that uh, you can kind of like project a team's wins and, and success off of the strength of how the upperclassmen progressed. You have to expect that these freshmen and sophomore are going to progress because they're such noobs in football. But how did your redshirt senior progress? You know, and I feel like somebody specifically like Alfonso Tupatala coming off of a um, Achilles injury and probably going to push to be a starter. Um, and then um, who's the other person? Uh, Jeremiah Martin. Mm-hmm. Jeremiah Martin, I think this year has the opportunity to be on draft boards and draft radars at the end of the at the end of the season. And even if that's an undrafted free agent opportunity, the gap between what he was last year and a potential undrafted free agent is a huge gap to be honest with oh. you in regards to progression. So at, at the um, end of last year, he'd have been hanging in the CFL with Nick Pickett, you know, it come on, you know, or in Oregon spaces, <laughs> oh, that God. should be where the alumni meet. They meet. Yeah, an alum. <laughs> hey, hey and I, NFL, CFL. Anybody got your money back yet? <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> Hey, and I'm glad I'm glad you talked about that again because when I was going to chime in when you're naming those guys, it stood out a little bit that it didn't seem like they were playing as slow. All those guys you named, except maybe Alfonso, uh, but all those guys are like fourth, fifth-year players, yeah. not just in the program, but in college football. And you need those guys and need those guys to step up. And so that was, that was good to see. Like, I know you guys saw, like, uh, Asa, maybe in his, like, physique, and, yeah, and that like how guy he that seems I to be kind of playing different speed, different mentality, he's on. ready for the NFL grind. Yeah, exactly. That lights the, on. The, it's clicked. The, or it's yeah. and and that's not to let me let me rephrase that because I don't mean to for him and that he didn't care and he wasn't trying and stuff before, but the but just the speed of the game, I think it's slowed down. Like it's and it makes him look faster and more read and react and just ready to play and able to play. Um, the other uh, guy that also, I would say that go ahead, Hood. go ahead, brother. Go ahead, go ahead, brother. Go ahead, brother. I was just going to say, like, I think he's flying under the radar a little bit with um, what we've talked about at the receiver, but in terms of projecting the, the value that he will have to this offense, mm-hmm. um, I think Jalen Polk is going to be a lot of Husky fans mm-hmm. favorite 
person in that room, and that's not to discredit McMillan or or Odunze, who are gonna, I think going to blow the doors off. But if you throw it in his vicinity, unless he's getting mugged, Jalen Polk's going to catch the football. Um, I Come think on. he's going to become basically Mister Reliable um, for our offense, and and I think he's going to have um, a really big impact uh, for UW the next couple of seasons. Well, you know, as long as he still has eligibility and. Um, that that video was cool that Ida put out with with him talking about Polk, right? Yep, yep. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Agreed. Yep. And and speaking of like like I said, like just kind of um, still kind of like thinking a lot while you're playing. I felt like um, Michael Penix was always like one hitch or half a, a half a second late in in um, timing in regards to a lot of his receivers and a lot of like open routes, even on that Alex Cook interception or. There was a play in um, the, the the red zone early in the game when Jalen McMillan was wide open on a corner route, and I think uh, that the Jalen got to that spot faster than Penix got to his drop or where he was comfortable in his footwork. So I think a lot of that stuff, like you guys were talking about, you know, Lanyada and Sam, you know, him timing the drop and knowing where Lanyada is going to be based on speed. Like I think a lot of those small nuances are going to be worked on in the summer for sure but you can just kind of see in the spring game that those that tad bit of like nuance and understanding um, and chemistry was just kind of off a little bit so even on completed passes so it's yeah, not that surprising though they, they haven't had exactly. much time together yeah. yeah yeah they yeah they haven't had time together and i think also like um i don't think Penix had you know before he got hurt last season i don't like i think there had been a um a decrease in the caliber of receiver that he was throwing to last year over previous mm-hmm. seasons and that the caliber of athlete and how fast that Jalen McMillan and Roma Dunes, they get to those spots mm-hmm. just will take time and, and practice and them going out and throwing, <laughs> throwing a crap ton in, in, you know, in, in, in shorts this summer uh, on the practice field, but that'll come. Agree. Agree. Shout out to Devon Banks. I definitely want to do that. You know, young man getting called and asked to do a lot physically, um, mentally, et cetera, and, it, and, it's, and it's showing up. So shout out to Devon Banks as well. Anything else that we need to, to cover? I, I certainly we, we briefly talked about it with, I think, in the pre-show. Um, welcome. I, I can't pronounce her last name, but M, uh, two post transfers in for women's basketball. Um, one I believe from FIU, Emma, last name starts with a G. Grothouse. Grothouse. Um, and yeah. then um, the correction of a Jody Win miss. Welcome back to Leah Daniels. Uh, yes, welcome, Lele. Uh, Lele's home, so that's really cool. Um, it also just kind of speaks volumes to how terrible Jody Wynn was because. Delea was over at Garfield High School and she had five hats on the table and not one of them was Washington. And now Jody Wynn's gone, she's coming back home. I think that underscores exactly how terrible this person was. Um, and she's gonna do great things in purple and gold. She is incredibly versatile. She's six foot three, she can play two, three, and four. Probably yeah. seeing her more at the three, four is my guess. I'm um, gonna have to get her um, per percentages at three up a little bit, and certainly gonna have to control how much we foul, but she's gonna be a centerpiece of the Washington offense. Look for that. Um, and she's okay. gonna be able to play in front of her family. So I'm excited for her. 
uh, staying in conference. A uh, little disappointing to see Jordan Jenkins go from USC over to Texas San Antonio. Um, from Kent, she's from Kent. She went over there. I, that just that didn't make any sense to me. But um, I, I wish her the best. It's a it's a kind of a weird move because I feel like she could be one of the best posts was, in the Pac-12. But she was very productive in the Pac-12. And yeah, that's why so I that's, think like I mean she's going to a non-power five school. And I mean I saw her play against Washington at Heckhead, and that was the best game of her career. She just completely had no answer for Jordan. Um, and I was really hoping we could get her. I understand, but um, shoot. So um, yeah, a lot of lot of uh, interconference transfers in the pack. So um, there's a there's a girl who just transferred from ASU over to Arizona. Um, some kids. That's kid, an interesting uh, move. Right. Um, I think she was I think she was loyal to Charlie actually, which probably makes hooligans scratch his head. Um, uh, who would want to do that? I don't want to scratch my head. I, I I've lost too much hair already. I was gonna say you're gonna lose a few, fam. Leave that alone. Forty one will do it to you. I, maybe she was loyal to Charlie because she liked to play, um, grab every piece of jersey that I can get my hands on defense. But not really I'm not sure, sure it's much different at Arizona. Area. Not really That's sure it's much different at Arizona right now. But um, and then you know Kelly Graves yeah. lost pretty much his entire starting lineup to either graduation or transfer. Um, so yeah, how they're gonna look? Oregon always like it's you know it's the same story for all the Oregon programs. Like Kelly Graves is an, is an incredibly gifted recruiter. Yeah. What he's not so good at is keeping his players. Um, he has been absolutely ravaged by transfers. And you know what? As much as I respect Kelly Graves, he openly criticizes and defames his players to the I press, think, which yeah. I'm not a fan of. Um, all love to everyone in the Pac-12 because obviously every time the Pac-12 does well, it's good for any any school does well, it's good for the Pac-12. But I stopped short at uh, slamming your student athletes, particularly young ladies, as a male coach to the press. I don't like it when anyone does it, but I, that's why I really don't like Gino Ariema. Gino, yeah, that's, <laughs> I got you. I got you. Um, <laughs> it's just very prevalent. Um, and I just I tire of it, and um, I don't I don't know what's quite going on over at OSU with Scott Wurick, but um, he's also lost a whole bunch of his kids. Um, two of them have transferred actually to Duke, which um, is where his former player is assistant coach. So I guess that kind of makes sense. Um, at any rate, well, and um, also one of his key assistants is now on our bench. I heard uh, Coach K is coming back to coach the women's team. That's why. <laughs> So actually, they have a they have a different coach. K. They have Kara Lawson. So oh, okay. she's a she's a Hall of Fame she's a oh. Hall of Famer from Tennessee, and she was a pro for many years. And she's also she used to do ESPN commentary, and she's incredibly talented as a, a commentator. And I can only imagine how good she is as a coach. Carol, um, I do, I do. Yes, Kara with a K. I do question though her assistant coaching choices because not only I mean she has Aaliyah Goodman, who we love, but you know Hooligan, who her number one assistant is. Yeah, you know. Cody Wynn. No. Okay. No. The, the next worst thing. Tia. Yes, it's Tia. Yeah. Tia's back. Oh, my God. Tia is the, her associate head coach at Duke. So. Boy. Yeah, well, she's not the head coach, so thank God for that. But anyway, so that's kind of like the. Yeah, we, we, we know how well that one goes. That well, one she'll never get another head coaching job. 
Um, anyway, um, so um, best of luck to our team. I think every, all of our transfers are, are finding homes outside of the conference and kind of moving outside of the P5 conference zone, which kind of speaks to like if you're not if you're playing in the the lower half of the Pac-12 conference and you're not getting playing time, you probably aren't a P5 player. And that's what we're finding with these transfers that they're landing. Jess Finney has landed at San Diego. Marissa Davis-Jones has landed at San Diego, sorry, San Jose State, and all love to them. I hope they do really well. Um, but it, it to me, it indicates that Tina Langley actually made the correct choice with how much playing time they got. So, mm. it's a, it's, I got a fresh in mind. Women's basketball. I like, I like that. We need a whole segment for that. I like that. Cool. Well, I've got another podcast that I do weekly that uh, just recaps all of the games, which I didn't have much to positive to talk about. And actually, I mean, if anyone would like to support a GoFundMe to send Leah to Mexico, because that's the mm -hmm. only like, only time the Huskies won this year right. in the Pac-12 was when I was in Mexico, and they damn near beat Stanford. Ah. So, um, so, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I went a different place with that because I happened to that that previous head coach that we were just talking about as who I'd never thought would be exceeded as the worst women's basketball coach in Husky history. I saw her coach our program in Mexico when we actually beat Florida State, but then turned around and lost to Northern Colorado. Awesome. <laughs> that was wow. I've got Many some good off-the-air stories about that. Well, you know what? I, you can uh, probably you can probably blame Tia Jackson for your hair loss then. <laughs> mm -mm. No. Uh, mm -mm. Blame the birthdays. Uh, no. Blame the birthdays. Jackson, Tyrone Willingham, Steve oh. Sarkeesian. I blame them all. Jim Cohen. Jim Cohen. Yeah. Todd oh Turner. yeah. Jim Jim Cohen. Yeah. Todd yeah. Turner. Uh, actually, before any of the people that I've named previously, Todd Turner. But Todd Turner did get rid of June. May she rest in peace. I'm glad Lake yeah, was one year because I can't afford to lose none of this, bro. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> Shit. Lake was the last straw for me. Yeah. Um, the last yeah. follicle. What? <laughs> he said the last follicle. I, I think we can call it good. Otherwise, we're going to go even further off the rails with this one. Yeah, we got to get, um, we got to get, let DJ go to bed and we got to let Hooligan go to bed because he's got to golf tomorrow. Me too. And I finished this. So, shit. Let's go. All right. Well, everybody, thanks for listening. We'll be back at some point soon, relatively soon. Go, dogs. Uh, go take dogs. care. And we'll, we'll, you'll hear from us again soon. Go, dogs. Go, dogs. Real dogs were.